Information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence, and ideas for making connections and finding community. You're listening to A to Z Running. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And this week, we discuss our favorite topic, running by effort. Mm -hmm. We break down why runners approach training in this way and how it looks in specific workout types and examples. Yes, with examples. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we explain every workout type. You really don't want to miss it. Yeah. Stick around after that for the latest from the world of running, including a new half marathon record, fast running at sound running. And track some, meet. It's called track meet. <laughs> right. Sound running. But it sounded funnier when I said fast running at sound running. And some unfortunate news, by the way, from the Diamond League yeah. circuit. So plenty of that to come. But before you do anything else, make sure, if you haven't already, go to adzrunning.com and look for the word follow. Mm-hmm. Because then you get everything just in case you might be missing something. Mm-hmm. We're going to refer to an article that we wrote that many of you probably don't know about because you weren't subscribed. A recently published article, <laughs> recently in fact. Published. Yeah, and speaking of followers, one of our longtime listeners and followers, Benjamin, tweeted a recommendation of our podcast. So thank you. That was on Twitter. Oh, and he wrote, what all runners need to know about their pelvic floor is a fantastic resource for all levels of runners. Especially the pelvic floor levels. <laughs> that is a level of your body. And we all have one. If you missed that episode, it's very enlightening for many because not a lot of us know a lot about the pelvic floor and it's essential for core function. So hmm. go back, listen to that episode. It's a good one. And just in case you're curious whether we've talked about the topic of training by effort, <laughs> which will be our main topic in a moment. Um, the answer, of course, is yes. But the last time we did this at length was over two years ago. And many of you weren't listening at that time. Mm-hmm. As well, we've updated with some more thorough explanations of some things that having worked with many runners in the last two years, we can certainly find better ways to explain things all the time. Absolutely. And even if you're a seasoned runner, we actually get lots and lots of questions on this topic. So you definitely want to stay tuned in. That is that, and this is this. We are ready to begin. <laughs> Let's go. All right. Well, on to our favorite topic, <laughs> running by effort. So the key here and the reason we're talking about this right now is because as a training approach, we argue that this Often. is the best often argue this no and i say we we're not the only <laughs> no. ones um no, it's a wait philosophy. do you mean that we argue with each other or no. we argue with other people not as much in recent days well, as we both embrace this way of training but days. as we mm-hmm. we talk to a lot of athletes about training by effort and the reason why it's so so difficult is that you need to develop into an intuitive runner and we want to help you do that that's one of our goals at a to z running because you're probably sick of me saying it this is what really helps you thrive as a runner and helps you get the most out of your training. So that's why we wanted to uncover this topic a little bit more because even for the seasoned runner, this is difficult 
for many of you to do. You really like measurements and running by paces and having it perfectly laid out for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to help guide you right now. We're going to help guide you right now on what efforts go in what places in your training. So if you just spent $1,000 on a new watch <laughs> with all these cool bells and whistles. It's still fun to have that I'm about info to tell afterwards. You to throw it away. No, no. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. But every conversation about training has to begin the same way. And we do this every time we talk with any of our runners and certainly um, anytime we do this on the show. But uh, it begins by thinking about what is my goal? What, like why am I doing this thing? My uh, Purpose is probably a better word than goal um, because it's broader. But both apply. And so the reason why we have to do this is because you can't ever approach training without a clear sense of what I what it means for me when I try to describe success in the experience. Um, and we're going to argue that however you answer that question, we're going to give you the path to success right now. But it's a big claim. <laughs> let me let me briefly explain, uh, I guess, why in that sense. So thinking about goals, most runners will say things like, um, I'm trying to qualify for something, you know, I'm trying to run a certain time like Boston qualify or to get into this majors race or other things like that. Right. Or to enjoy the experience. Yes. Well, I'm getting to that. Oh, it's okay. on the list. <laughs> so that's one of you're trying to run a kind of performance, right? That's a category performance category or a personal best, you know, so I, I'm not trying to hit someone else's standard. I'm trying to beat my own still a performance goal. Um, okay. So uh, how about just self betterment in general? Like, um, I want to be fitter, I want to be healthy. Um, I want to feel confident in my efforts. And so all of these things are goals that many of us have. Um, and then, of course, there's always the, well, I just like it and I want to <laughs> enjoy it. I, I want to be consistent at it. Fun. Well, yeah, I just want to do it and have fun yeah. doing it. Um, okay, so those are the categories, right? The, the performance category, the pleasure category, and the lifestyle category, among other nuances. Okay, now here's the point. Um, many runners feel that depending on what the kind of goal or the category that they have to train differently. So like if my goal is performance, I need to train a certain way. Like I got to be all in. I got to train hard every day. You know, we've talked to actually some runners recently who said that exact thing. Like when I was really serious about this, I was really training hard. And I keep thinking to myself, did you enjoy it? <laughs> because you, the way you're describing it is like it was it was brutal and you you felt good about like the performance, but not as much about the training style. But anyway, um, that's some instances. That's not everyone's experience. Uh, so this is the point. The common logic might be that we train differently depending on the kinds of goals we have. But our argument is, in fact, no, you don't. As far as your training approach, it's the same regardless of your type of goal, regardless of your level and capacity. If you are a brand new runner trying to run a 5K for the first time, never having run in your life, or if you are a seasoned marathoner going for your 10th Boston or trying to run an Olympic trials qualifying time or beyond, the approach really is the same regardless. And we're going to make the case as to why here in a moment. But um, consider this. Nearly every runner who takes the all-in approach, that idea of like, I've got to go hard, I've got to go after it, um, almost always feels like it is ultimately unsustainable and often burns out. Mm-hmm. Okay? So there's there's that one aside with it. Uh, but why we tend to feel that way is because the all-in approach, if you look at some of the work like Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus's publication on the Passion Paradox, um, it is, in fact, unsustainable and does result in burnout at some point um, in almost every case. Not, of course, not every single person. So my point in saying that right now is because 
we are going to argue how a training approach can yield the best possible performance for any given person without having to sacrifice our enjoyment of the thing and or result in unsustainable approaches or burnout and such. Okay? Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we recommend that people don't train very much. Not at all what we're trying to say. <laughs> right. But we're trying to say there's – well, here's what we're trying to say. We want to know ourselves and our efforts thoroughly and accurately so that we can consistently give exactly the degree of effort we ought in every instance so as to achieve the best possible outcome. And guess what? It's going to be different depending on the variables in the day. <laughs> so that's why we want to develop intuitive runners – and when we go based on effort and we really harness what that is, we can get the most out of our training regardless of what's going on in our lives so we can be thriving runners. Okay. We're going to talk about how to do this and then we're going to give examples of different workout types and the things that are very familiar to you all. First, um, the foundation. we got to review the principle of training effort itself and what that is implying. Um, we're talking about running by feel, not objective measures. And so training by effort is when I... Am th I'm thinking about how hard I need to go and giving that much effort. And it's not got anything to do with what the watch says, including heart rate. Arguably, heart rate can be a valuable asset in a training by effort approach. Yes. But it is still an outcome. Remember that the heart rate is the result of how much effort you are giving. We are trying to condition runners to monitor the amount of effort they are giving, not by any kinds of results, but by how much they are intending to give. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's the input that matters. That's the, that's the hardest part to grasp as we try to instill this in other runners, but also as we try to do it ourselves, that's the hardest part to grasp. It is the intentional effort that I'm giving the deliberation, not the things that tell me whether I like my pace and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. inputs versus outputs, right? So the strategy then becomes I prescribe workouts based on efforts. So like it's an easy run. It's a steady run. It's a, so it's an effort type is the workout I'm assigning. And based off of then the effort intended to be given for the run. Um, and it should be noted that the outcomes are mostly ignored in most instances <laughs> as well. And we'll, we'll, we'll not really spend a lot of time on that right now, but um, it's an interesting nuance. But going back to what Zach was saying, like you might use a heart rate monitor that helps a lot of people slow down and learn that they are not properly gauging their easy efforts in particular. And so that allows for athletes to say, hey, I've been telling myself this is easy, but this really isn't actually easy for my body. Mm -hmm. So there are values, like Zach was saying, to running with heart rate, especially as you're in the learning phase of what efforts are appropriate for you. Yes, indeed. And it's, yeah, and it uh, is one of the things that we can use as a tool to condition ourselves to know whether we're giving an amount of effort we're intending to give. Um, so I like using heart rate monitors to help learn how to be more intuitive about it. But eventually the goal is to just not need any of that stuff. Um, not to suggest that we just throw it all away. Like I said earlier, Come although back to it sometimes, you know, <laughs> if you did feel inclined to throw it all away, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it against you. <laughs> um, but, but keep in mind then also, um, how, how can I, scale effort appropriately. And this is the trickiness with heart rate monitors because a heart rate monitor is based on maximum effort, but not based on maximum effort for a given distance, just total period. So you have to then do things like, so 85% of heart rate 
of heart rate reserve is the way we tend to use this metric, um, is usually a certain kind of effort, right? But, but it depends on the distance. And so then you get a lot of these training plans out there that will say, you know, do 85% of heart rate effort for tempo runs. But what if your tempo run is eight miles? What if it's 15 miles? Should you still be running 85% of heart rate reserve for 15 miles? So there's some trickiness around training plans that use heart rate. And, and many of them, the ones that are really trying to get the precision are going to adjust those things. They, they know to do so. Um, and unless you're just buying a sheet of paper offline and it's telling you what to do in training, if someone is designing that, they're trying to form it to what you need. But mm-hmm. um, that's one of those you know pitfalls to avoid. Okay, so um, also Andy, you made you made a kind of comment about post run and how you can be how you can help yourself. Yes. So evaluating what was the effort that I gave. Sometimes that can be tricky within a run, especially as you are learning and becoming an intuitive runner. So after you run, how do you feel? Like you're gonna probably know. Let's say you're vomiting at the end of an interval workout. Well. If your goal was to stay in threshold, (laughs) then you did not give the proper effort because you went anaerobic. So I think it's good for runners to evaluate after a workout as well. And then also how you feel the next day. Okay, let's say that I had 90 minutes easy and the next day I don't feel good. Mm. Well, I probably didn't run easy enough for those 90 minutes. Yeah, and this is one of those things that we have to do constantly in order to understand external factors contribution so like if i'm not getting good enough sleep for a few days in a row that's going to have an impact on that and so like suddenly i'm thinking man i was not feeling well but i look at the runs and like my paces were significantly slower than last week when i was running that same kind of effort and yet like i'm feeling worse afterward how is that possible you know am i losing fitness over the course of the week well not likely there's something else contributing and so as a consequence we recommend although we don't necessarily uh, do so with an iron fist, but we recommend that all runners keep some kind of training log where they're mm-hmm. documenting these kinds of things, especially early days when you're just trying to learn how to do this kind of training system, um, trying to figure out how all of the things play together in our lives and our running um, is very difficult without being able to review it, look back on it. You're not going to remember all of this kind of stuff. So to Andy's mm-hmm. point, reflecting after the run, but do so somewhere where you can then see over time. And many talk about things like Strava for this. And, and so, the, you know, most runners don't want to put all those kinds of details on their public facing Strava. So like if there's a private notes function, you know, putting it there. Mm-hmm. Strava has this like, how did this feel drop down when you add new workouts or edit ones that are automatically saved. Um, but that doesn't give you any detail. So it's great there's to use those notes, kinds of though. things. There's a section right. for private It's notes. great to use those kinds of things as long as you're providing more explanation. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just... How, how do you know exactly? And let's be honest, on? we're going to find a lot of things out because let's say we are on a continual trajectory of feeling fatigued, more and more fatigued. Okay, then we need to go to the doctor and get some panels. So I think that there is value beyond learning effort to having that training log and to evaluate how an effort felt on a run and what it felt like the next day as a result of the effort the day before. Yeah. And just then ultimately remembering that the point here is to give exactly the degree of effort needed to produce the desired result. Mm -hmm. And so that that scales to the context, like how I'm feeling in a given day, Um, because if I am having issues in a particular day, I'm not trying to get a result by my run. I'm trying to give an effort. And so the result will prove to me whether things are more and less affected by some of that kind of stuff. I spoke to an athlete 
it wasn't too recently, but it was a little bit back. 10 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> and we were talking about how to shift a mentality from like, how fast can I get away with this easy run being versus <laughs> how like just running as slow as we need to do. How for easy this. can I go? <laughs> exactly. Because I think a lot of us are like, what is the maximum? I want to go the maximum for this workout as fast as possible uh, for this day. But the interesting thing is that, well, let's say you gave 70% of that effort uh, and it's still within the range of getting the adaptations, well, then you're just going to recover faster and have a better week of training. So it's not always like how much or how fast can I do at this effort, but it's like, am I within the range that's going to allow for me to rebound and continue training effectively? Mm. Yeah. What are the adaptations I need and what's the kind of effort that's most effective and efficient in resulting in those adaptations. That's one of the, um, it's one of the contemplations. It's actually why the Hansen's training method has leaned towards shorter long runs versus longer long runs, because it is more efficient to gain your training adaptations. If your long run does not produce a massive recovery time needed. However, we argue that there's another way to accomplish that too, but that's not the point at the moment. We'll get to that in our specific examples. Okay. So let's talk about for just a moment, the implications, because if we have not yet convinced you that this is a great approach. Um, consider this. So no more running by pace ever workouts, racing, anything like that. Um, that's one of, that's one of the implications. <laughs> Everyone's like, in their but, head, but, 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 nope, but, but, and you're all your heads, right? I'm Everyone, literally saying ever. If you there okay. thinking that, let us know. <laughs> so I was running not terribly long ago and I was doing like a, a tempo run for a long period of time. Um, and a I ran, very long period of time ran past someone and so, and someone was like, Oh, what pace are you going? And I, my answer, honest answer was, I don't know <laughs> because I didn't know because I didn't care. And I never looked at my watch to know whether I was running one pace. Or it was under 520 pace though. No, it was not. That was a different one. That was a different one. Okay. So the point is it like in those kinds of situations, we want to ask ourselves that, oh, what kind of pace am I running? I don't care. Get, just, just, that's your new mantra. I don't care. No, that's nope, a terrible Yeah, that's a terrible mantra. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding, Andy. That was a joke. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay. So. That is one of the implications, but consider the benefits. If you do this well, you will never blow up on a run again, ever. Well, almost never, <laughs> because there are some things that can cause, like, you know, like super hot days yeah. where, yes. Okay. There's so it's possible. Of factors. Still. Yes, of course. But in terms of by my own poor in choices in a run, I can avoid all of that hmm. by running by effort correctly appropriately all right so uh, also we mentioned earlier no more burnout we're trying to teach runners how to train in such a way that we enjoy the training all the time more or less and that's a really good thing that also means that we're going to flourish quite a bit better mm. okay and fundamentally we want to feel good almost all the time <laughs> almost always um be successful in every race and performance and this is the key because i can promise that i can literally promise that <laughs> And you're going to say, no, you can't, but I can because the measures, right? What are the measures of success? What is, what does it mean to be successful? Answer me this. If you knew on every single race that you did as much as you physically could do on that day, you produce from your body the best possible physical result on that day. Would you tell me that was not a success? Would you say that was a failure? How could you say that's a failure? If mm -hmm. you knew 
You got everything out of your body you could get. So that's the answer to the question then and how I approach racing in such a way so as to get everything out of the body we can possibly get. And if we can do that consistently, which is very difficult, very difficult. I, I certainly don't know anyone who does that every single time, but we can get there or at least get closer to there. And then we know with certainty that we were successful because we got anything we could get out of the body. Now, the best implication of this is that when you go and you do a race and you know that you did everything you could do physically and you got everything out of your body, but it doesn't produce the result that you thought you could produce. Like I felt like in my training and the things I was doing that I could run faster than that. Why didn't I? It opens up the door to this awesome inquiry about something went wrong somewhere, but I know it wasn't my training, my racing decisions because I know I got out of my body what I could. So then we get to start to explore the other things that contribute and find and identify the sources. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's great. So now, what does this look like this in look specific like? workouts? You're all wondering like, okay, Zach, this sounds nice, but what does this look like in my regular training programs? How about jogging, Andy? Jogging, what kind of effort is that? Jogging. I love jogging. I used to not, but now I do. Jogging is recovery. You want to feel better at the end than you did when you started. Mm-hmm. Yep, you do. And in essence, jogging serves only one of two purposes. Um, either it's re recuperative, like you're trying to recover and on, your, on the run from something else, or especially early stages in training, it's to build leg strength. Yeah. Like you need to have strong musculoskeletal system to be able to handle training loads. And jogging is a great way to do that without risk, low risk. Low risk. Love it. Okay, by the numbers. And by the way, I'm going to do this. I haven't done this in the past. I'm actually going to give you percentages. Whoa. There's a reason for this because <laughs> for some reason, some of us it's have a hard time with the nuanced descriptions. Like all of us have a hard time with the nuanced descriptions. I even sometimes have a hard time describing things within their nuance. And so it helps to at least put them on a scale, knowing that the scale is kind of just relative. It just floats out there. It means very little ultimately, but it helps provide a kind of sense of differentiation okay mm -hmm. so jogging is at most 50 percent of your maximum effort for any given duration okay oh and i should say all of these percentages are relative to the duration um, that's one of our general considerations that i accidentally skipped over andy so we we need to remember that effort duration, yeah. is based on the duration not some like fixed maximum pace or something like that 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 doesn't make any sense um, so if I go out for 10 miles, a jogging effort for 10 miles is a different pace than a jogging effort for 30 miles. Mm -hmm. You can imagine why. Um, but the point is jogging is anything under 50%. So there's also a massive range of effort that jogging can occupy because I could be going literally at a dead shuffle and barely picking my feet up, call it a jog, or I can be going at a reasonable running cadence, but it's still very low effort. Okay. Now bring it up the next notch to easy running which we could call this like easy aerobic running because we are in the aerobic zone at this point where jogging isn't always. And as a consequence, easy aerobic running is like the basic, it's the baseline for all of our like what we would call normal mileage pace, right? And that don't have a normal mileage pace. I'm going to put that out there. Baseline. I'm just going to say, I'm going to yeah. put this out there because I find a lot of people fall into the trap of, oh, no, yes. this is my easy pace. Therefore, I am not going to run slower than what this. What a silly thing. So to if think. you think, like, if you're like, no, I, I won't run with this training group that's running, you know, 15 seconds per mile slower than me. 
Did I say seconds? I said seconds, right? Something like that. It should be fine for you to do so. It's okay. Even though that's not your normal easy training pace, running 15 seconds per mile slower is fine. And don't uh, don't hear any harshness or accusation in our words. <laughs> yeah, please um, don't. Or at least not in Andy's. Mine has I have plenty of harshness <laughs> and accusation. But the the point here is not that we're not trying to cast shade on the way no, anyone's no, doing I'm things. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, Do I sound like no, that? you didn't. Okay. I do though. And so I'm hedging. But. <laughs> We are trying to clarify that there are so many common thoughts we have as runners about things that make no sense in terms of the thing we're trying to accomplish. And that's a good example of that. There is no such thing as my easy running pace. That is a silly concept. And if you do have one, that's fine. It's probably, but it's probably a range of a minute. What like it an should, entire yes, minute. <laughs> right. And what it should be is easy. My easy running pace is what happens when I'm running easy today. Yeah. Today. Yeah, today. For that run. And, it's going to fluctuate. And who it's knows gonna what it's going to be and who cares yeah. as long as it's the right yeah. amount of effort. So how do we get the right amount of effort for easy running? Because we've described um, we, we've described very little about the actual effort. And so what it is is you have to you have to finish the run feeling like I could continue doing that for a long time, that I could go farther, I could go faster, all of those kinds of things. And you also need to consider with easy running, um, I'm in the aerobic zone but I never feel like I'm pushing. I never feel like I'm pressing um, because when I'm doing that, that means that my system is starting to elevate and we don't want to elevate it beyond just very comfortable aerobic running. Mm -hmm. So in terms of our percentage scale we mentioned earlier, easy running is, is the big window. It's like somewhere in 50 to 70%. So you have quite a bit of a range there. As a consequence, we also have to be thinking about the fact that sometimes our easy running needs to be on the lower end and sometimes it can be on the higher end depending on how we're feeling. So on a given day, if I've done substantial work in some capacity, like a harder workout the day before or something like that, it's better to stay on the lower end of the easy running. Um, but in general, it's somewhere in that window. Mm -hmm. Okay, now let's move into the strong effort stuff. We could call these hard efforts. Before the specifics, a um, couple general considerations when we start running sustained strong efforts. We're not talking about intervals yet, but um, there's a lot of different stuff. Um, like we, we sometimes even use different words to describe the same thing. We also sometimes use the same words to describe different things. <laughs> and this gets really confusing. So you'll hear people use things like tempo, steady, which are some of the ones we use threshold. We don't ever assign threshold workouts to anyone, um, for various reasons, but anyway, so a lot of people use that, but then there's actually like different kinds of threshold. There's like aerobic threshold, anaerobic threshold, lactate threshold, um, which some of those are the same, but the point is. It's confusing. So we need to know when we're looking at training terms what exactly the effort is we're intending to give, mm -hmm. um, not just what the word relative to other things we've done. Okay, so that's good. Um, we're talking about one of the more challenging types of runs in terms of effort, sustained strong efforts, because you always feel better in the beginning than the end. Um, and as a consequence, it almost seems like it's a progressive effort, which Almost all running is a kind of progressive effort. I had to convince Zach of this, yeah, yeah. by the way. Well, <laughs> yes. I'm like, in, if you're running the, the same yep. effort, you're going to gradually slow down during a long distance race. Not necessarily, but... You have to. You want to be able to increase your effort in the late stages of a race. The point is not that you're changing effort. That's not the point. And this is why Andy and I argue about this all the time. <laughs> your effort doesn't change. How you feel as a result of the effort changes. Oh, I see. Ah, uh, 
see inputs and outputs. We got to get back to inputs and outputs. My effort does increase at late stages of the race. Well, in racing, that's a different thing because it should. Okay, we'll get back to the the, the subject at the end, which is steady efforts. Sustained, not yet steady, but any kind of sustained strong efforts. Um, you, You will feel a progression in terms of, I don't feel as good at the end as I did at the beginning at any given effort. But the point is we still need to understand that if I'm giving an effort right now, is this an effort I can feel comfortable doing throughout the entire time? Knowing that it will get harder, but it's still the same effort. Okay, so that's the that's the key, and it's very, very challenging. Now, if you don't know, and this is the part where it's like you have to be super aware of the intuition has to be very high to do this well. Most runners will start too fast, some too slow, um, but all, very few of us truly have a like a balanced effort experience with these kinds of runs. So here's Lydiard's secret. This is his great idea that is in, in truth a great idea. Um, he would have his runners and he would do this early stages in their training and then he would do it once or twice throughout as a kind of checkpoint. He would have them do a one hour steady run where they would do an out and back on a course and it's not a distance out and back, it's a time out and back. 30 minutes out and then you come back and the goal is you need to come back in as close to exactly 30 minutes as you can mm. so that you're running exactly the same pace out as you did back. And then what you learn from that is you you now know how you felt over the course of that one hour in the beginning versus the end stages. And you do that a few times throughout training so that you ingrain in yourself the intuition of if I'm giving this much effort now, I know how it's going to feel later on when I'm giving that much effort. Okay, cool, right? Yeah, That's cool. <laughs> All right, steady efforts. So what percentage, Zach? Steady effort is the first step in strong effort running and it is 75 percent ish of your maximum for a given duration remember it's always relative to duration so if i'm running 10 miles steady effort is 75 percent of my maximum effort for 10 mile race or something Um, now in concept steady effort is just basically anything just beyond easy efforts so now i feel like i'm working but i'm very comfortable still um I am by no means overexerting myself at any moment in time, even by the end of the run. So if someone were to tell you to go out and run 20 miles steady, you still need to finish those 20 miles feeling like, ah, that was pretty good. Like I could keep going. I could go faster. You know, all that kind of stuff. Steady effort is never straining by any means. Well, really, none of these are efforts. So if we're going to talk about like breathing, conversational, whatever, you would be able to get out a few sentences here and there, but you probably wouldn't be like super chatty. Yeah, remember, this is fully aerobic. You have to be able to breathe comfortably the entire time mm-hmm. be- because it's fully aerobic. But you're working you hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, hardish. We'll yeah. go with hardish. So you're going to be able to talk, but you're probably not going to want to be like long-winded yeah. about everything. Yeah, so steady efforts, you are comfortable. You're running strong. You're applying pressure now. You're pushing a bit, but you are comfortable. Then we get to the next step, and that is tempo effort. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is the part where like people use all sorts of yeah. different words here. Remember, we're talking about relative to distance, so the word threshold no longer applies. We're not even going to use it at all because all of these benchmarks are relative to a distance, not relative to a maximum capacity. Okay, so tempo is the one we're going to use. And tempo, you can use a different word here if you want to, but tempo is the word for 85% of your maximum effort for that duration. So a half marathon tempo would be 85% of your maximum potential in a half Which marathon. would be very hard. It would still feel it's like strong. <laughs> yeah, you're running strong. Yeah. You always have more to give in this kind of a run, but you are no longer comfortably strong the entire time, but rather uncomfortably strong. Yeah. 
And and if you're going for a really long time, like let's let's think about like a 22 mile tempo, for instance. Some people do those. Why are you giving these as examples? Most people don't do 22 because mile Because it's tempos. important to understand the difference. So in a 22 <laughs> okay. mile tempo, you're not going to feel uncomfortable at the beginning because you would be dead by the end, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, not yeah. dead. But so that it's relative. But if I'm doing like a six mile tempo, it's uncomfortably strong the whole time. But I finish and I know I've got plenty left that I could have given if I wanted to. So steady is like, comfortably strong tempo i'm pushing into an uncomfortable range now but it's still manageable that is the key here it is still manageable okay does that make sense andy it does make sense okay yeah. good all right i've never been quite sure about how to describe that one well um and then the next one and this is the final benchmark before we get to like race effort and that is time trial slash almost race effort or oh wait we should back up with why? the tempo because there is a recommendation for tempo efforts that we have in and usually that tempo, like doing the 85%, many people aren't going to get a lot of benefit for doing it longer than 20 minutes. So like a 20 minute tempo. No, no, no. That's, that's different. Um, okay. So yes, there's, there's a maximum period of time where you like, aren't really going to benefit more from a given effort at different stages in training, but it depends on your, your race goal. So if you're running like 5k, 10k type of stuff, your, your higher level effort things don't need to be very long should never actually be very long because it's in it's inefficient training wise even though you could go farther than than the duration given right. to you in your plan like let's say it's 20 minute tempo um you don't want to exceed that because at that point there are some losses to you know you you get you see the gains and the losses and there would be more loss of time recouping mm -hmm. so like if you can get the benefit from 20 minutes don't go 30. that is the truth of the tempo. That is of, the truth. Your, really, yeah. your run will be longer than that, yes. but for the portion that's hard. Yeah, and that's probably more we, – we should have another conversation at another time. Um, we've certainly talked about in other instances of how to be effective and efficient in training, like both of them. So you maximize the workout with being able to recover fast enough to get more quality stuff. That's not exactly what we're trying to cover here as much as, as a broad principle, training by effort does accomplish that goal. Yeah, okay. Um, but – Yes. So in terms of then the, the next tier, time trial slash near race effort, or we could call it race effort, but I'm just not going 100%. Um, this is the 90 to 95% effort range. So I'm approaching full effort for a given distance, but I'm holding something back still. And we'll use this kind of stuff. Any athlete will use this kind of stuff in training when I'm really trying to hone the edges and so this is not something you do regularly. It's not something you do frequently, except for when you're preparing for races in late stages or something like and that. And it might actually be a race, like and a tune-up race, race that yep. you use to achieve the purposes of a time trial. Yeah, this is in fact the effort that we tend to recommend for most in-season racing, not necessarily all the time, but um, rather than doing a full effort every time I run a race when it's not my target race, we would recommend a slightly scaled back version. And if you want to know this. a secret... Usually this is the effort you do until the end of your race anyway. It is indeed. So find out what you can do in the last few miles of the race. And so that would be the part that's different, like laying it all out. Yeah. But if you're going to be doing a marathon and you want to do 95% until the last <laughs> 10K of the race, that's a, that's a pretty good plan. So your race wouldn't look much different uh, for many people in long distance racing until you get to the final closing stages. Potentially indeed. So um, in that sense, how do you feel when you're doing this kind of effort? It is challenging, but once again, you are not straining for it. You're finishing feeling again like I still could have done something more there, 
but I was definitely going hard. You are not comfortable for these kinds of things anymore. I mean, comfortable is relative. If you're doing this for 20 miles, you are comfortable for some of it, like I said with the tempo. But um, a good example is if I'm doing like a 5K at this kind of effort, then I'm really running pretty close to my maximum possible 5K for my current fitness. Um, and many will find themselves doing things like running PRs in these kinds of things when their training's going well because um, you really are doing – just about full effort, but just not quite. Okay. Yeah. So that that's the that's the mindset. And like Andy said, it's best to do those kinds of efforts in a race scenario simply because it's more fun and you're already having to try to run pretty hard. It's not as fun to do that on your own. Yeah. So as I mentioned, we wanted to just touch on threshold running briefly to make sure that it's clear why we don't include that in this scale. And the reason is because threshold is relevant to is relative to maximum capacity, not to a given distance or duration. And so as a result, threshold running is these is always the same effort. Regardless of how far you do it, it's the same effort. It's your it's relative to your either lactate maximum capacity, heart rate maximum capacity. It just kind of depends on which type you're doing. But um, the point being it, it has a different barometer. And so you can do threshold training in a sense, but it's you, you apply it in a different mindset. You don't apply it with the same right. scale that we're using here. That's when we talk about doing intervals um, where you are done once your legs feel heavy because it's you do the same effort, but you actually might do less depending on how quickly your legs get heavy. Yeah, well, that's a good bridge in a gap to the second aspect of training workouts, strong running, which is interval types of strong running. And for interval kinds of running, you really don't have that much variety here. You have a couple of different types and then you just have lots of creativity in terms of how people structure them and what kinds of distances they use and what other things they put in with them. So the fartlek is the basic interval type. It's it's the Our core of all Our know that we we love fartlek workouts. Yeah, and in, and in principle, a fartlek is not every kind of interval workout. You know, some people use it to describe like any type of interval workout. Um, a fartlek is intentionally designed to be um, – more variety and more interplay between different types of paces and distances and efforts. So as a consequence, we could spend a lot of time right now describing fartleks, but we're not going to because we already did that in a yes. recent episode. And we've got a great article Andy mentioned earlier. So if you do want to read more on that, you yeah, can go Yeah, a lot of people out. have given us feedback that they found it very beneficial to read more about fartleks and this way of approaching them. So if you are look looking to learn more, actually, we have a lot of coaches that reach out to us learning stuff about our show, um, learning stuff about running from our show and implementing it into the training that they do with their athletes. So uh all ages, all levels of experience uh, come to find value as they learn more about these approaches to fartlek and efforts. That's cool. Yeah. Well, in thinking about at least how we're applying it here in this spectrum, um, fartleks are lots of different types of efforts in a given workout, and so it doesn't necessarily fit uh, a single description. But the point of a fartlek is you're done when you feel like you're starting to tire in any given interval. And so you go faster when you want to go faster, and naturally you're going to be done sooner with the interval because you're going faster. And, and so how that plays out, depends on lots of different factors mm -hmm. and go read that article if you want more yeah i have heard people say like when they first start doing fart like it's it's really hard to vary their 
uh, efforts and their speeds and because it will just kind of like default to like their steady state if they've been doing a lot of those or whatever type of workout they've been doing a lot of. Well, that's the point. The point is to stretch you and grow you. So uh, if you have done a fart lick before and you're like, ah, I didn't like that, try it again Indeed. and again and again. <laughs> that is true. So thinking then about other types of intervals, more classic interval structures where you're doing like the same kind of thing on repeat or something of that nature, then the spirit of the workout is a little different than the fartlek. If that's intended to be geared toward variety, interval workouts are usually used to specifically tax a certain system heavily and and achieve adaptations consequently so most of the time it's anaerobic it's not always you can do intervals that are like aerobic intervals and such they're not very efficient for the main goal so we wouldn't ever recommend aerobic intervals unless for some reason you need to as an adaptation which there we're not going to get into that right now but there's lots of different reasons we might say it's better to do an interval structure for an aerobic run for now think about like the walk jog concept yeah. that's an aerobic yeah. interval right um, so there are reasons why you do those kinds of things in other capacities but in terms of like the classic interval workout it's usually used to train your anaerobic system your glycolytic system so that you can teach your body how to deal with things like lactic fatigue as it starts to set in muscle recruitment factors are a piece of the puzzle um, and then there's a number of other things sometimes it's just neuromuscular a lot of marathon programs include some intervals in there if you're doing a marathon and you're running interval workouts do not do anaerobic intervals that's crazy you have no need for your anaerobic system. Well, not no need, but ver virtually no need for your anaerobic system. And it's super inefficient. If you are truly running anaerobically, which, by the way, most runners don't actually run anaerobically in interval workouts when they think they are um, because you have to, like, seriously push pretty hard to do so. But either way, don't do it if you're training for a marathon. Anyway, that's all we need to say about that because we want to talk about long runs yeah and for the sake of time make sure we can spend at least a few minutes on this because this is one of the ones that people do the most yeah. like everyone's doing long well, runs. everyone does long runs because wait for it it's one of the most important runs of the week it is if you didn't hear us recently talk about that go back and listen to some of the other stuff we did and in terms of the two different kinds of approaches to long runs you have like just the easy effort stuff and you have some kind of strong effort um we do want to touch on both of those here because easy effort long runs if we're talking about an easy run of any kind, being that description earlier, uh, for a long run, naturally, that means it's probably going to be a little bit slower than a shorter easy run because it's relative to the distance, right? And you have to finish the long run feeling like you had more to give. Now, consider that People a moment. People are like, what? So if, <laughs> if your plan says to run three hours and you're like, I'm done with those three hours and I can't hardly walk, that was not okay. Like you need to be able to finish it. So two two things happen there. Either one, you went too hard or two, you went too long for your current yes. musculoskeletal strength. So you need to be strong enough to handle whatever the distance is assigned, which many runners run too long before they're able to handle it well and adapt to it well. That's where the Hansen's method comes in. They are significantly against running too long when your system can't handle that. Now, as a consequence, you have two options. You build it up slowly and you run slow enough that you can handle the, di the distance and the effort. So that's the mm -hmm. easy long run. Mm -hmm. So you got to be able to do more when you're finished. Mm -hmm. Now, the strong effort long run warning, is warning. way <laughs> overused in training. It can um, be used 
But think about it. We don't want to grow our duration and our intensity at the same time. Definitely that, that means trouble most of the time because that's when people are getting injured. Can you tell we're passionate about this? Yeah. So <laughs> in the past, we've been known to say things like you, just, you should just do not do it. Don't do strong effort long runs. But then some people caught us in our lie because we it's actually have – Well, we actually have our runners do them well, sometimes. Yes, because <laughs> so, we say in general when people yeah. are growing – when they're growing for the first time, let's say that that's the first time that they've ever done an 18-mile run, we will never recommend that they do a fast finish. Yeah, and I was also kind of joking when I said never because um, we don't ever say never do strong long runs. But when you do and what it looks like is a really important consideration because the first thing is, once again, it has to be relative to the distance. So if I'm running, for instance, steady or tempo effort for 20 miles, that is not as fast as a steady or te tempo effort for 10 miles. By the very nature of the thing that is relative to the distance okay so a strong effort long run whatever kind of strong effort um yes you could even do a time trial long run so i, I want to run time that. trial 22 mile run that means it's near near maximum effort um that makes sense now for this instance what we're describing here is a strong effort needs to then fall in only certain periods of time in training because you should never do this unless your aerobic system is very well conditioned You've already conditioned it highly because otherwise it's very inefficient. It's not good aerobic training to do strong effort long runs. It is helpful, but it's inefficient because um, you can accomplish that better in other ways. So what it is then is it's a really important element. If your system can handle it, your musculoskeletal strength is high, your aerobic system is well developed, then it's good prep for long races if you're going to be doing hard effort for the long race. It is valuable then to do strong effort long runs. If you're ready to handle them, your body can actually absorb the training. At this point, you've probably already done a conditioning phase of training. At this point, what do you mean? Like if you like go, everyone's in the same phase. No, right no. Now? What I'm saying is, like, <laughs> if you're going to be doing a yes. hard effort oh, long yes. run, you have already done a sufficient amount of conditioning. Yes, that is true. Yeah. Now, then, thinking about. Um, so by the way, when you finish something like one of these efforts, you have to, it has to apply in the same way that it does regardless of the distance. So like a steady effort, I have to finish a steady long run, still feeling like, ah, comfortably strong. I get done with that run and it's like, I got plenty more I could do. So if you can't do that, if you can't run steady for 20 miles and finish feeling pretty good about it, you clearly shouldn't be running steady for a long run. And a lot of your guys are going to be thinking, oh, well, I guess some of my long runs I thought were supposed to be easy long runs were actually steady long That's runs. That's exactly because it. Because when I get done, you know, I feel good, but I'm, I don't feel like I could go a long time after this. One of the things that happens as you gain fitness, most runners do this by accident, um, myself included. Almost every season. So what, what happens is we start to run our long runs and think, oh, I'm feeling really good. And like the pace is starting to pick up and I'm getting into a nice groove and a rhythm. But then we get done with the run. And it's like, oh, I'm pretty tired. Like I definitely uh, I just realized I pushed a little bit there. That was too hard. Yeah. That was not an easy run anymore. Now, it's not too hard if you're supposed to do a run right, of that sure. kind. But yes. Okay. Have we belabored the point? Yes, yes. we have. <laughs> now let's talk about races. Yeah. This is our final piece here in the puzzle. And this is the one, if I can say it, is the hardest point on which to convince you. This is the one that most will say, I'm not doing that. Can I can I give some evidence for convincing? Uh, maybe. I have run my oh. fastest marathon without a watch. I have you, run. You also may have made some potentially risky choices in that race. <laughs> and it paid I out have somehow. I have run my fastest 5K without a watch. I have run my fastest mile on a track without a watch. 
Well, arguably my own track doesn't need a watch anyway because you just had a dead sprint the whole time. I'm just is. saying. So, I'm just saying. Those yes, are all different distances in which I did not look at a watch. So you are the example <laughs> that we should all follow. Um, <laughs> I'm, not I, saying, I, I'm just saying that it is possible to still run your fastest times and perform the way you would like to without using the feedback of a watch and uh, just allow using the feedback me, of your body. Yes, allow me to say it in this way because Andy wouldn't. Um, but the fastest marathon she's describing was one of those instances we mentioned earlier where she was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials specifically. And so her goal is to run a time. Now, answer me this. If her goal was to run a time, why didn't she run with a watch? Because there was a better way to accomplish that goal well, than work, try to look at a watch on splits. The work had been already the work had already been done. So it's not like I'm going to chase this pace and drive myself into the ground to go get it. It's like I did all this training and now it's time to see what the effort produces. Like how mm. fit am I? Because that's the goal of a race is just to see how fast we can run on that day, what our fitness will yield. And regardless of whether I'm looking at my watch or not, I'm going to try to find whatever that is. So actually, I did run faster than the pace for the time, which was a humongous PR, it was over 10 minute PR for me, but I wasn't looking at the watch to do that. I was regarding my, my efforts during the race. Yeah. So now what do you do then? Okay. So, um, we do in fact recommend running every race by effort alone. There is no reason to have a watch or use a watch. People are, people are I know there yep. are like all, this is very rare guys. We understand that most people do use a watch when they're racing, but we're just giving you another way of doing it that we have found great success. And we're going to tell you why. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, remember the goal. Let's go back to that for a moment. You want to perform well, right? You want to accomplish something. You want to feel good. You want to have fun. Some of those kinds of things, right? All of those are better accomplished without the watch, including the performance goal to our previous point, because if you knew you got everything out of your body that you could get out of your body, then it does not matter what the time says because you couldn't have run any faster. Okay. So that's the first key takeaway here. If we can get there, which we can, we are insisting it's possible. Okay. So, uh, for those trying to get the most out of our bodies, then here's, here's the thoughts. Uh, so we, um, the, the watch is always going to be lying to us. That's that's the one thing we always say about the watch. It's always lying to you yep. because it's never telling you the full truth of all the things that contribute to how you're feeling and mm -hmm. what you're doing. It's only telling you the result of your effort in that given moment, which there's no way to know that that's in fact what it should be. So you say, I want to run eight minute pace for this marathon. And so in the beginning, when I'm running eight minute pace, it's like, oh, perfect. I'm doing exactly what I should be. But what if you're running too hard for those eight minutes? What if you're running too easy? Yeah. And you should, in fact, be capable of much more. But now you've limited yourself because of that watch. Yeah. So both of those are possible. Yeah. So let's let's think about this. Anytime you look at your watch, what is the feedback telling you? Because that's what you're looking for. You're looking for feed up, feedback, right? If you look down and it's too fast, you think, oh, man, I got to slow down, which is usually kind of a negative thought. And then... If you are running and you're running by effort, you look down, you know, for, for a little bit, you look down and it's too slow. That feedback is also negative. Mm -hmm. So in both instances, or if you're looking down, and you're right on the money, I guess sometimes that can make people feel confident. But what I'm saying is that there's a lot of the time that the feedback that you're going to get from your watch is not going to be helpful. Also, GPS, 
I'm going to put that out there too, because I have heard so many athletes say I couldn't get GPS, the Chicago marathon. It was super wonky and it messed up my race. Well, GPS is wonky in a lot of major cities. I travel for my work. And when I use GPS down in the cities, it's, it's terrible. So if you go to a major city and you're dependent on your watch and pacing, and that's what makes you feel comfortable, it's possible that will betray you in some of these big races that are in cities. So just putting that out there too. Don't believe your lion watch is, is the, <laughs> that's the rule. Oh. Okay. Now, um, consider then as well, if I'm just, what if I'm just trying to like have a good time and I want to enjoy it? A lot of times runners will say things like this to us. Well, I, I don't, I, I don't want to like just go out and really push hard in this marathon. I just want to have a good time with it. So I'm going to run like a minute per mile slower than the last marathon I did like that. What, what a silly thing to do. <laughs> if you just want to have a good time, why does the number matter at all now? That's what a strange thought. Now, I don't like when one of our athletes says something like that. I don't say you're silly. Don't do that. Um, but what we do talk about is if I know how to give the right kind of effort, then I can give it in any capacity. So I can say I want this to be a comfortable run today. I know how hard to run for it to be comfortable. If I want to say I want to perform as well as I can. So you get the point. That's the end result that is possible. And that is, in fact, the best possible way to accomplish all of the goals. If it's a performance thing, if it's I'm just doing it for fun, if it's I want to enjoy it and feel good and be strong, you know, all these kinds of things, mm -hmm. all of them. Now, one final note, unintended benefits. Um, well, I guess it's not a final note because now I realize I said it earlier when I didn't intend to. But remember that if we can do this well that it allows us to then identify what things we can do better in our training and our preparation and our lifestyle dynamics so if i for instance if i trained in a certain way and i thought to myself yeah, that uh, that that training didn't go super well and then the race result is x y or z i can say here's areas i know i can improve in the training to try to get a better result out of my body because i knew i got as much as i could out of it in that instance or maybe it's like I trained really well and the race result wasn't what I thought it should have been. Maybe there's some other things I need to look at. Like what was my diet like around then? What was my sleep like around then? Was I well hydrated? Uh, did I not do things nutritionally in the race that maybe could have helped? All this stuff. But if I knew I got what I could out of my body, I don't have to think that the answer is I had a bad race because that's never the answer. Or a workout. I see it all the time. I had yes. a bad workout. I had a bad today. workout. Well, did Why? you get some good ad adaptations from it? Because well, then maybe. it served its purpose. You know? Also, if you never look at your watch, you, you won't know. probably <laughs> won't ever say that again. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, I had a bad workout. Well, how do you know? So, yes, that's exactly it. I felt bad. <laughs> I felt now, crappy. here's yeah. the key, right? I felt bad, which means you probably should have just run slower, right? Because assuming that if I'm not feeling good, my effort is going to produce a lower result. Then I get done with it thinking, ah, I didn't feel as good today, but I didn't smash my legs in the process because I wasn't feeling good and still trying to hit a pace. And, and that brings us full circle. So <laughs> one more comment before we are done with this topic just for today, because I know that it creeps up in our conversations quite a bit. But the idea of running by effort also allows for you to play. And what I'm saying is when you're running in a workout like a steady effort and you're like, oh, man, my effort's a little bit too pressed. You back off. Well, how can I run better and run faster without trying harder? Because oh, man. We've it's got, about We've got effort. content on that other, another do. time. Andy. We do. But what I'm saying is this. When you're running, if the goal is to run 
as effortlessly as you can. And some, I guess it's sometimes you don't want to be effortless. Sometimes you want to actually give substantial. But if I'm able to think about how can I accomplish this goal without pressing and chasing and striving and just you know giving my full my full self, put going all in when it's not the appropriate time. Instead, I'm thinking how how can I run better? It changes your mentality. It changes the way you run. Indeed. And with that, there's so much more that can be said. <laughs> so much more. But since we at least now convinced you to throw away your new $1,000 watch. <laughs> no. Let's go ahead and move on to the world of running. This week in the world of running, we have a U.S. championship on the road, the U.S. Half Marathon Road Championship. And we're going to start it off with some big news, which is a new American half marathon record on the women's side with Emily Sisson running a time of 107.11. Very fast. Very fast. And it was a fairly new record by Sarah Hall this year in Houston, who joined her husband on that half marathon record board. But again, it's just such a fast day and age of women's running. Emily Sisson chopped off a few seconds off of that, running the 107.11. And of course, she won the race. <laughs> and... Well uh which we should mention, it, it's not easy to run a record on a day like that. Yeah, it was this windy. isn't a race where she's like in this group right. for the whole time and everyone's running super fast. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, most people had a hard time running fast. Exactly, times. exactly. So the runner-up finisher, the silver place medalist, was Andrea Pomeranski, and she's from Michigan. We had to see her at the Lake Michigan Credit Union Bridge Run. She won the 10-mile there. And then Allie Kiefer, who's been on our show, on the show fairly recently, she claimed third, which is her first podium at a U.S. championship in a time of 113.16. So it was a it was a pretty great race, uh, although Emily Sisson had to do her racing on her own. So there's like three ladies <laughs> behind her who are racing and getting the advantage of having some competition. But uh, Emily Sisson had to hang out there in the front alone. I mean, like six minutes. Like she yeah. had to really just drive from drive, yeah. inside. <laughs> she, she did not have any help. Right. And that is hard to do. It is very hard to do. Yep. I did want right. to give a shout out to one of our previous podcast guests also who was on a show in sixth place, Joanna Stevens. Yeah. So she's a nice job, personal Joanna. friend of mine as well. So top 10 finish at a U.S. championship is excellent. Is that a, as opposed to an impersonal friend? <laughs> I guess. Uh, on the men's yeah. side... On the men's it was side. a victory by Leonard Career. No surprise. He wins races like this from time to time. Um, but once again, in a tight finish. Yeah. Are we a broken record with that? I feel like every men's race, U.S. championship that we talk about, it's a close finish. Well, there's reason <laughs> for that. And it's largely because, as many have described, on the men's side of American distance running currently, there really is no like someone or someone's who are like unbeatable well beyond others yeah. there simply are not people who are that much further beyond which is um, cool when yeah when when the the top tier are all racing together yeah. um certainly depending on the mix of people you get in a race it could be more or less but as it is um this is a, a common sighting in currently in u.s men's distance racing so a 102 35 win for leonard career which is not a crazy fast time you would definitely see faster times on a faster day. So, yeah. you know, you could certainly wonder about that. Right, right. Because Emily Sisson probably is going for the, well, she was she going clearly for the was. <laughs> American record. So that's why she went out so hard. Yeah. Whereas these men were being tactical. I'm sure because of the wind were trying to 
bundle up as much, not bundle, yeah, but like well, huddle up, there we yes. go, uh, as much as they could trading off the lead and whatnot. Now, in second place was Futsum Xenolassi in a time of 102.36. So he was only one second. That's why it's so great. One second behind. Tight finishes. Yep. Love it. Yep. We had Jacob Thompson in third, who uh, ha- has been chasing Futsum apparently since, since he was, he was 15. 15 years old. That's what he wrote on his Instagram. <laughs> so he's uh, he's continuing to chase him at the moment, I guess, yeah. which is kind of a fun story. Right. We always like to hear the stories. Mm-hmm. Next on the docket is the sound running track meet. Mm-hmm. Always good for some fast performances. Yeah, which I do want to give a little bit of an idea of how this like comes about because they aren't paying like appearance fees for these runners to come. So like Jacob Ingebrigtsen came to the sound You're running. Sure, they didn't pay. Well, him. they didn't pay Jacob Ingebrigtsen <laughs> because it was there's a whole article about this. Ah, so apparently Ingebrigtsen's agent knows the race director because he also used to work at Brooks in some capacity anyway. So there's like cool. connections here. But he's like, hey, you know, Jacob is going to be in the U.S. and wants to run a fast 5K. And then he ends up doing sound running. Um, anyway, but the reason for this is because of the timing of this event. It's like really good for some of these longer distance races as people want to get something coming off of a very, uh, like a really good indoor season, like Jacob well, Ingebrigtsen qualifying times right. for the track season. And, and qualifying's happened. A that's a great, happen. that's a great transition. Yep. So Jacob Ingebrigtsen made his rare appearance in the U.S. the Sound Running 5K, uh, and he had to actually work to win, ah. <laughs> which is incredible. Does that surprise you? Yeah, he won in 1302. <laughs> Mm. He won by only a second over Mohammed Mohammed of Germany, who ran 13.03. Okay, that's tight. Yep. And third was OAC's Olympian, Joe Klecker. He's a U.S. Olympian in a time of 13.04. And the event was sponsored by On Running, by the way. Was that a PR? It's a PR for him. Joe Klecker, Klecker runs a PR. So Oliver Hoare, who was his teammate, rabbited the field and the field was shooting for 1310 under 1310 well so got that. they absolutely did that yeah crazy so the top eight top eight mm. all ran under the world standard time and a few of those uh familiar names to us nico young and connor mance the youngster yeah nico young well Mance done. actually only snuck in by by 0.25 seconds okay so well he got it he got it he got That's, it yep. so eight eight runners ran the world standard time and that world standard time is 13 13 five mm-hmm. this year so the eight seems to be the magic number because on the women's side, that was the same amount of women who clocked their world standard times, the standard for the women's 15-10. And leading the way, we told you we would keep you in the loop about her. Natasha Rogers won the event, running a near PR finish time in 15.05.22. Very fast time, great competition. And then fairly new to this scene-ish um, is 26-year-old, at least uh, in this event, 26-year-old Tyron Rawlings, who claimed runner-up in the personal best time of 15.05. Yep. That's fast stuff. Yeah. Some good fast times in the 800 yeah. meters as well. Allie Wilson ran a PR in 158. She actually fell across the finish line. Ooh. This is a, a world-leading time. And then second place was a PR for Nia Aikens. And on the men's side, there wasn't any world standard. So we're moving on to the 1500. <laughs> and the men were slow, so let's keep going. <laughs> no, they um, the were Women's 1500. It just is, these are really aggressive standards. So there was three race that, uh, th- sorry, three women who claimed the world standard. Excellent. Gabriella Dupuy Stafford. She won in a time of 4.03. Of Canada. Of Canada. 
little note about her for those of you who follow her running career, which you should because she has some really fast. phenomenal records. <laughs> she even has North American record in the 3,000 meter in the indoor track that she did this past winter. She left Bowerman Track Club, um, but she's still sponsored by Nike. Sinclair Johnson was really close to Dupuis Stafford, uh, just on her heels in 403.33, so 0.13 seconds. And then Katie Snowden in 403. Nine. Okay. Well. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So three All of them. All within a second. All right, and the slow men in the 1500 again. Stop, we'll skip them. They're not slow, oh, sorry. Zach. They just, there's no world times. So. Your comment right here says the men were slow. Oh, no, that's <laughs> this one. Not. All right, in the 10,000 meters. Yes, so three women claimed the world standard time in the 10,000. And then rising star, Wayne Kaladi, we talk about her I mean, She's not really a rising. She's just a she star. She is a star. <laughs> she is a star. But she's so, like she's young to me. She seems young. because she just graduated college last year. <laughs> she ran 31.11.11. And Sharon... Lokidi, she ran 31.14, and this is fourth place in a new PB, um, or sorry, she ran fourth place in a new PB at the New York half. Ah, I put that as a little side note, so you can see that she's, like, getting faster in every distance, which is really exciting. We we like to see that, like, someone in a variety of distances getting faster and faster, and then Rose Davies ran 31.18. Just so fast. (laughs) How, How often do you see, well... We didn't used to, but we do now. People are just running so fast. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the last event of the night, the men's 10,000 meter, actually has something worth talking about. <laughs> Taking the cake for the world <laughs> qualifiers. Good. Okay, so 10, 10. men in the field 10. under the world standard of 2820, which, you know, when you get the right mix of people in there, you can see a race like this. It's not too surprising that this happens from time to time, mm-hmm. especially at sound running. Um, so we got uh, Zuhair Talib. Oh, this is just so exciting to talk about. I know I'm, because I have been following him for quite a while and he actually follows us on Instagram as well. So we've gotten a chance to go back and forth a little bit. But I loved his reflections because it kind of gives you an idea that these are real people too, even though they're running superhuman times. He said, honestly, 10,000 meters can get tough when you're not feeling good. At around 3K into the race, I felt my legs tighten up as my body ceased to respond. At around 7K, I almost dropped out. I had to verbally tell myself to keep going because the race became so difficult. I wonder if anyone caught that on a mic. That would be really cool. (laughs) There are many reasons that this could have happened. As a full-time college student, I've had to work nonstop this past week preparing for my finals, exams, and projects. This impacted my recovery time and therefore how I felt during the race. I also had expectations about the pace and the way the race would go. And even though I still came out with the win, there's a lot to learn from this experience. And there's a lot that I will adjust for my upcoming race on May 28th at the pre-classic 5,000. Until then, it's back to training and just taking it one day at a time. That's great. I love it. Yeah. And uh, Zuhair Talbi runs for an NAIA school, Mm -hmm. which is is like the small school division in college athletics. Um, it's one of those other things that's always really interesting to us because the Olympics too, you don't see usually almost never you right. see athletes of this caliber in that collegiate division, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of is, is it's kind cool. Of fun. Yeah, yeah, he runs from Morocco, I believe, right? Yes, yep, yeah, he's Moroccan. So I won't list all the amazing performances because there were ten of them, but I do want to highlight Zach Panning of Michigan. He mm-hmm. runs with uh, the Brooks team out there, and previous podcast guest Sam Chalenga was fourth. Okay. So he he ran a really solid Both time in the 10,000 times. Yes. All right, and finally on our list, number 3 is uh, some unfortunate news, which is that there are some Diamond League meets. Diamond League remembers the track circuit where all the pros compete over the course of the summer. Well, actually it's like now it's 
half the year. It's not just summer anymore. Well, okay, summer in the United States which okay. for the Australian. Okay, um, so there, there are two meets that are usually held in China. Well, one of them's new. One of them is new. It hasn't actually happened yet. Yes. Because um, <laughs> it was canceled last year, too. It was canceled last year, too. Thank yeah. you. I was like, this wasn't the first year they were going to hold it, though. No. Yes. Um, so canceled. Naturally, um, China's COVID scenario is... Yeah. Zero policy. COVID crazy. Yep. And so they are not really doing anything. Um, yeah. and, and that makes sense. Uh, but at the same time, it's a bummer for the athletes because there are lots of monies available to them in these meets. And it's like the only way for track runners to make substantial income yeah, right. um, in terms of racing. And so they're looking for opportunities to like have substitute right. events and such as well. So there is a substitute event in Poland happening on August 6th in place of one of these events. Okay. So that would be cool. interesting in Poland. Yep. And I and did, thinking about upcoming. Right, exactly. So the world of running is heating up. I guess it's always heating up because there's all different events happening at all different times of year. But talking about track coming up, uh, the 2022 Toyota USATF Outdoor Championships will be June 23 through 26th at the University of Oregon's Hayward Field, which is going to yep. be a preview of what we'll see at the World Athletics Outdoor Championships that will be in the U.S. for the first time at Hayward Field. I, but I got to say. In July. Holding the World Championships in the middle of July in <laughs> Oregon is going to, well, some will find that to be an unpleasant experience. <laughs> so we'll but see. But the, the, you know, Hayward Field has been newly redesigned, as so many of cool. you guys have heard. So cool. And for, I did want to mention that U.S. Championship because that is where the athletes will qualify for Team USA for the World Championships that will happen July 15th through 24th this later. year. So yeah. lots of exciting track coming up. These athletes are wanting to be in peak performance really soon. That's, you know, that's a month and a half away for the uh, the U.S. Mm -hmm. Outdoor Championships. So, By the way, bonus couple yeah. of highlights. We forgot to mention a few accomplishments by some that have been known to the podcast. Yes. Shawana White. Won the Flying Pig 10K yes. in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Well done. Very impressive. And then Todd Buckingham. You'll know him as Dr. Todd. He's the one who brings us lots of science -y episodes. He was the age group national championship in, champion in three of his events and overall winner of the National Draft Legal Sprint Duathlon. How many of those events happened on the same day? This is not a question for me. This is a question for Todd. But like he won. It's all weekend. the same weekend. Yeah. yeah. So so Todd, he did three events. He does, that and he was sometimes. age group winner of all of those, plus overall winner in one of those. So yeah, cool. Congrats to Doctor Speedy Todd. Well done, Todd Buckingham, PhD. Yes. yes. Excellent. Well, by the way. There's always going to be more. Yeah. So make sure you're following in the places where the content is shared, like the social medias. Andy does a great job with getting you interesting little tidbits of content that we don't publish anywhere else. So follow her there or us, I guess. I don't really know anything <laughs> about it, but it's us. Yeah. Um, also, we're on YouTube if you yeah. like to watch things that you could just as easily listen to. But it's a great place to consume content and interact. And that's yeah. the key piece here is wherever you're finding the information, share thoughts with us, comments and questions and things like that, yeah. because that's how we know that someone's actually listening. You know, the stuff can tell us that a, a number listened, 
but how would we know? Yeah. And we look at like when people will send us things from the world of running that they find interesting, like Ben and Aaron have sent us some stuff. So if there's something in the world of running you want us to see, feel free to tag us so that we can know what's going on in the world of running to deliver the most interesting stuff that's going on. Because of course, we are the A to Z running community. We want to have information about the world of running, inspiration to fuel passion and excellence and ideas for connecting with community, all while thriving as a runner. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.